0: from that and my brain starts to project itself into the future or take itself back into the past is when i'm literally in my memory i'm no longer in existential reality i'm in psychological reality so the more i learn to be in existential reality so the reality that is here right the more present i become of course however the amount that I'm in my psychological reality is in direct proportion to how unpresent I am. So as I get into my psychological reality, right, that, that's just things, that's just thoughts in my brain. Thoughts in my brain as scientists are saying now, it's just literally a collection of impressions that I've had throughout my life. It's just recycled impressions. So if I had ex- an experience 10 years ago that was traumatic on planes, next time I go on a plane, right, I'm going to think, oh, this could be a scary plane ride, right? If I have a really bad rejection, you know, two weeks ago, and I look at going up to another girl that I might think is attractive, I might think, oh, no, what if she had reject me and I feel the same way, right? So it's just a collection of data that I've accrued over the period of my life.
1: The greatest problem in this world is that people are too fucking scared to be themselves. Scared of what others think. Why? Because society made you fit into a tiny little box. Happiness is always going to be a myth if you stay in that little box. You need to wake up to who you truly are. Find some courage. Find some fucking balls to be yourself. Your mental, emotional, physical and spiritual health is all going to be out of whack Up and down, left and right, when this shit happens. You're constantly seeking shit outside yourself. Drugs, sex, alcohol, food, people. All that shit that is temporarily helping you feel something greater. I've done all this, and it doesn't fucking work. You are 1,000 times more than what you think, than what you believe. And that happiness is real. And that it doesn't come in a bottle, labelled prescription drugs or 4x lager. Well, maybe 4x Lager, but not long-term. It actually comes from within you. Deep inside you is inner peace, but you only need to know how to find it. Well, welcome to the answer to the Feeling Alive podcast with Luca Reedy. It's time to be who you came here to be, son. Welcome back to the Feeling Alive podcast with Luca Reedy. This is episode 33. Cross Consciousness, baby, with Kieran Headley, and we're talking about anxiety, understanding anxiety. Now, it's a crippling emotion and feeling that millions and millions of people all around the world deal with. And today's guest, Coach Keza, aka Kieran, is an anxiety coach and meditation guide who helps people overcome these anxiety struggles and it's his own story that has led him to this path of service now and it's incredible talk about his panic attacks talk about how he has dealt with it the journey that he's gone through on this on his own personal journey that led him to coaching and helping others with anxiety and we also talk about a very um, a dear friend that kieran lost himself to anxiety it's a very very important podcast to be sharing out there right now so I'm grateful that you're here listening to it and without further ado ladies and gentlemen enjoy this episode Welcome back to the Feeling Alive podcast ladies and gentlemen I'm here with the anxiety Guru, Kieran Headley, brother, how are you? Oh,
0: too kind, mate. Anxiety guru. I'll take it, though. Thank you. I'm, I'm doing well, mate. <laughs> I'm doing really well. Yeah, it's been awesome, um, man. it's been a great sort of shift in routine for me. Uh, sort of changed up my daily routine today. So things are going good, man. Yeah, awesome, brother. Awesome.
1: Thank you for joining me here, man. Uh, talking of morning routines, let's. Let's start there. That's my first question with everyone is what is like a morning ritual or a daily
0: ritual to enhance your mental, physical, emotional, spiritual body? For me, it's this one foundational key part of my day that happens, not just in the morning, all throughout the day, stillness, something that I embody Mm. as much as I possibly can. Even on this podcast, I'm looking at embodying as much stillness as possible coming into this Mm. podcast with as much clarity as possible and being as conscious as I can with every word I speak. For me, that's Mm. the embodiment of stillness, the embodiment of meditativeness, which honestly, quite Mm. frankly, I know this is just jumping in with a bomb. It saved my life. Stillness Mm. saved my life, and it's something that I've really learned to embody continuously. It's something that I honestly can very easily waver from, which is why Mm. it's more of a habit that I'm still implementing today as much as possible, as consciously as possible, so I'm really upping the frequency of that lately and I'm seeing profound results in not just my own well-being but also Dude, that's the success powerful. that I'm reaping through business yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah so like in that sense how what's some practical things that you did is it a daily meditative practice or is it like conscious breathing during the day like a couple of deep breaths like what is that still how do you invoke that stillness
0: intention so intention to be still. And what I mean by that is not the intention to actually calm myself, not the intention to achieve a different state, but the intention to just simply be. So it's yeah. completely eradicating or uh, just taking away any sense of resistance within myself. So if I feel frustrated, I'll feel frustrated. If I feel sad, I'll feel sad. If I feel anxious, I'll feel anxious. It's not that I'm mm. going to express that anxiousness. It's not that I'm going to Embody the sadness. It's just that I'm feeling it. there's, there's a big difference mm-hmm. there? Because in the past through yeah. resistance, it's like putting pushing a beach ball underneath the water. Right. The more I push it down, the more it wants to come up. So yeah. learning to really allow it to flow. Uh, I mean, just as Bruce Lee talks about, right? Be like water, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> when water becomes the cup, um, when put, water gets poured into the cup, it becomes the cup. When water gets poured into the, the pot of tea, it becomes a pot. So essentially mm. it's like that with emotion. It's allowing myself to be, uh, be flexible with the emotion without needing to become mm. the emotion. It's just simply being with the emotion. I mean, it sounds almost quite heavy in a way that I might say it, but essentially it's just this. My emotion doesn't define me. Mm. My emotion doesn't need yeah. to determine the way that my day is going to go. It's just simply there. And Dude. that stillness has allowed me to create that space between me and my emotion so that I can create that clarity in my day while also allowing that emotion to be. Mm. Mm. how did you get
1: to this point bro like that's that's the crazy part is because i was reading a bit of your story um that my va put together and and like it's so crazy seeing your journey bro is that you've um you've never always been like this. And I think before we start talking about anxiety and, and, and these different states of that, let's talk about where it was for you and, and, and how it started coming up for you. And, and cause I know you, you struggle with a lot of panic attacks. Mm. So do you want to just talk a little bit about your experiences and how you got to this point?
0: Yeah, I'd, I'd love that, man. And I'll also be as practical as I can in terms of application as well, because I know that's really love important. It. So people yeah, can man. take something away from this now. Uh, Let's just start from the beginning. I mean, it's really the only place I can start. <laughs> uh, I honestly actually started struggling with what people would say depression to start with. I was diagnosed with depression. I was um, constantly going through waves of sadness, uh, mm. always, almost pre- being able to predict when it was going to happen. I'm like, yep, yep, this entire month is probably going to be shit <laughs> just like that. Mm. i just know it's coming and it'll just hit me. And sometimes it will go for a few days, a few hours. Sometimes it'll go for literally a few months. And I'll spend Mm. about three to six months just in sadness. And that'll be all I know. Um, Mm. This was a constant process. It started actually around sort of middle school, I suppose. So around, um, I suppose it started about 12 or 13 years or actually earlier. I remember going to a parent teacher interview and (laughs) my teacher at the time said, Kieran is more interested in the butterfly outside than the actual classroom. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So uh, I was very disassociated. Um, Disassociation is is a, really uh common symptom uh of trauma so this is something that i would I just disassociate from reality completely and just completely blank out. And it's very common. I still see that a lot. I still see that mm-hmm. a lot with a lot of people I communicate with. Most people don't like to admit it, um, but mm-hmm. it's very, very common. So I just want people to acknowledge that if that is a situation they run into a lot where they disassociate themselves, blank out, mm-hmm. um, almost like time warps itself in terms of like you're there and all of a sudden this other person's finished talking and is expecting you to respond and you're like, holy crap. I did not catch a single word. That <laughs> mm, <yeah, laughs> was literally yeah. my life for a long time. Uh, so I'd, I'd enter this, this state of loneliness, a state of sadness, and I'd really embody that for a long time, um, many like, long lengths of time on end. Uh, it's not that I was, uh, I, I, when I look back, it's not that I was dumb. It's not that I was weird, even though this is what I literally thought I was. I just thought I was dumb. I thought I was weird. Um, mm. I thought that's what it was. I didn't realize that it was a traumatic response because what this ended up doing is it made me feel completely unworthy, uh, completely incapable of (laughs) getting a girlfriend, speaking to even speaking to a girl of being as good as my classmates in school of being able to fit in the way that my friends are fitting in with each other. I almost felt like the extra friend, if that makes sense Mm, Uh, and sort of all the groups and uh, honestly went on, not just through school, through middle school, high school. Uh, It started to also happen. And, uh university as well not to such an extent i started to understand things a little bit more started to sort of mm-hmm. make my way into um into groups as, um and a little bit more effectively uh however there was still this underlying feeling of sadness over time mm-hmm. i ended up seeing uh counselors uh, i was lucky luckily enough to be introduced to them earlier on um thanks to my parents they um sort of knew something was going on and a lot of people don't get that opportunity early on I was lucky enough to be sort of suggested towards that. I was resistant at first. And then when I found out it was in my family and it was common, um, luckily enough, I was told that because if I didn't realize it was actually a normal thing, a common thing, I wouldn't have gone. I would have thought Mm. that's not manly. That's not, I can't go and speak about my feelings. What is this crap? Um, You know, I just got to harden up. I just got to get on with it. And that's what I thought it was about Uh, until I got suggested that I went along to counseling and that, Honestly, therapy really shifted things for me from that moment because I started to realize what it was, that depression was there, that anxiety was there. And over time, as I started to understand the depression a bit more, I started to meditate. And uh, long story short, meditation was introduced to me through a YouTuber I follow. Funnily enough, this YouTuber is actually a fitness YouTuber who does not embody mindfulness. However... He would say on his YouTube videos, yeah, like every morning I get up and do, you know, 50 push-ups and 50 sit-ups. I'm like, yo, I'm going to do 50 push-ups and 50 sit-ups every morning. That became my morning routine, um, yeah. like every morning. <laughs> and then in one video, he just subtly said, yeah, like I've been getting up in the mornings and doing 10 minutes of meditation on Headspace. I'm like, oh, what's this Whoa. application Headspace? So I just downloaded Headspace on my phone. And since then that became my morning routine, uh, 10 minutes every morning uh it started off as anyway and that went on for about five years i used this at Headspace, right i'm sure many people know about it
2: yeah yeah, and, yeah. yeah. and
0: yeah th- and this honestly it helped me a lot and i'm without a word of a lie this saved me uh, when i say it saved me mm. there was many points where i thought man i, I just sort of wish i could disappear i yeah. wasn't in the place where i genuinely felt that i would be suicidal i don't feel like that i um, I would have. I don't know if I would have, would have gotten there, but I know for sure that if I hadn't started meditation and hadn't actually deepened my level of calmness and created more stability within myself, I genuinely mm. don't know if I would still be here. So that's what I mean by it saved mm. me. Now, uh, through this meditation process, uh, I started to understand things a bit more, started to sort of gather this understanding of, oh, okay, I'm feeling this way because of this reason. Oh, okay. I'm anxious because of this reason, right? So these things started to come. But okay. then what started to happen is I started to have these weird experiences that I didn't realize what they were at the time, but they're panic attacks, right? So I'd just start to uh, curl up in a ball on my couch with my girlfriends in the kitchen just making dinner. and I was just curling up in, on the, in a ball on the couch and just hyperventilating, um, unsure of what was going on, freaking out, mm. um, feeling very small, very scared. Uh, and just yeah, just confused, completely confused why this was was happening. And my girlfriend at the time, she came over to me, asked me what was wrong, and I just kept um, hyperventilating and just saying, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And that's just what was going through my head. I had no idea what was going on, and eventually that sort of wave passed, and from memory anyway, that was my first Mm -hmm. genuine panic attack. I'm sure there was maybe more situations Uh earlier on, but from memory that was it uh from there there was definitely various situations where that sort of experience that darkness sort of just overwhelmed me this feeling from within myself just started to almost like a little like i guess the best way to describe it is like this shadow that starts to expand from inside my gut and it's like um it's got these like claws and it's trying to drag me into the depths of of that shadow of that darkness that's Mm. sort of what it feels like it almost feels like i'm drowning in a way sort Mm -hmm. of like There's a whole lot of weight around my body, and I'm trying to storm through stormy oceans, uh, stormy seas, and I'm constantly trying to keep my head above the water. That's sort of what it feels like like anyway. Fuck, man. Yeah, and I'm sure definitely there's a lot of people that might be able to relate when it comes to panic. Uh, It's just this really overwhelming feeling, right, this feeling of being out of control now. This continued to happen up until about 18 months ago. 18 months ago from then onward. I've been able to step into this greater embodiment of, uh, I mean, I guess you could call it peace for sure. Um, Don't get me wrong. I still feel anxious. I still feel sad. It's it's very normal. I'm still a human being, right? Uh, But I've got a lot more stability within it. Uh, Yeah. And the reason for that is because I started to understand that the meditation practice that I had developed was very limited. I'd been for Mm. so long saying I know how to meditate. I know how to meditate. I know how to meditate. And that was my limitation. Because the moment I said that I knew how to meditate is the moment that I stopped learning about meditation. Mm. So the moment that I started, it got so dark at one point. I remember actually sitting in uh, my room. I was living in Quebec at the time over in Canada. And I was looking in the corner of my room. And I had two thoughts that ran through my head. The first thought was, even if I don't ever get married, even if I don't get anything in this life, Even if I don't get anything I want, I just want to feel peaceful. That's the first thought that came through my mind. And the second thought that came through my mind is I wouldn't even want my worst enemy to feel this way. And just really feeling this experience, really embodying that right there. The reason why I remember it so profoundly is because that was my turning point. That's when I'm like, enough is enough. I need to actually do something about it. Screw my ego. Screw knowing how to meditate. What else is there? So that's when I seeked out a holistic psychologist rather than just simply seeking, um, simple, uh, science, which is what I'd always gone for. I started to yeah. broaden my uh, approach and seek to more, a mindful, a deeper mindful approach rather than of course, meditation is definitely mindful, but I came away from needing an explanation about everything. I just wanted something. And I came to this lady called Dr. Nicola Pera and She'd come away from oh, the traditional no. psychology path and gone more for um, of a of a open mindful approach now I started to learn a bit more about this about practices and how neuroplasticity was now also starting to support these practices uh, the Ooh, types yeah. of neuroplasticity so it was real cool to see that so I, because I was very logical minded I still am I started mm. to use those techniques and with those techniques those tools certain types of journaling and actually deepening my meditation practice even further. I eventually got to a point where these panic attacks just stopped. I stopped feeling that sense of panic. I still felt anxiety, but panic
2: mm. was no longer there.
0: I started to so reduced more in drastically. Control. Yeah, I started to feel more in control. I started yeah. to feel more trusting, and this is a key thing, trusting in myself. So I could trust myself to actually go into any situation and know that I'll be okay. I started to trust myself that I wouldn't suddenly break down. I started to trust myself that I'd be able to handle actually allowing my emotions to go into a a female uh, because I was so afraid of that for a long time because I was afraid that if I started to feel too much and in a relationship, I'd start to experience too much panic uh, or, you know, into too um, too many problems or whatnot. And Mm. I started to trust myself more to actually put myself into risky situations in business so that I I could reduce that fear of failure that is so common. And I could allow myself to actually take more risk so that I could reap more reward Uh, and allowed myself to really go a lot deeper in all areas of life, honestly. And
2: Mm.
0: how that happened, the real key point within the meditation practice that allowed me to start to do this was just this.
2: Mm.
0: Allowing. It's something that I hadn't (laughs) done in so long. Literally just, that's just it. That is it. Just Mm. allowing. And what I mean by that is rather than me feeling this fear and feeling this anxiety and feeling the sadness and being like, come on, feel peaceful, calm down, you've got this right, and just telling, talking myself out of a feeling, the moment that I started doing um, doing that, after a time, I started to realize that that was actually making it worse. I was making mm-hmm. no ground by doing that. But the moment that I actually sat there and just said, you know what, bring it on, <laughs> Wow. <laughs> like, come on, like, you just come to me. Like, these feelings, these these thoughts, these emotions, these sensations, I want to feel it all. And the moment that I started to say that to myself, the moment that I started to actually allow myself to experience anything that was coming through me was the moment that this fear of feeling these emotions started to go away. And the moment yeah. I, started fe- I started fearing these emotions less, don't get me wrong, these fears will still come. The moment I started fearing these emotions less, I, start, I started to fear things externally a much less as well, because yeah. that's after a while, I started to realize that, okay, well, fear isn't actually the fear of a situation. The fear is the fear of my experience in that situation. I mean, what I might be afraid of, you might breeze through, right? I mean, flying is definitely something that I was afraid of for so long. And many people would sit there in their um, seats, right, watching their movies and Turbulence will start going, and I'd be freaking gripping the seat, wanting to scream my lungs out, right? Like sh- literally shitting myself. Yeah. No, not literally. I'm just kidding, but pretty close to it. <laughs> and looking at the people next to me, and they're calm, and I'm there shitting myself, almost shitting myself, yeah. and I just, I just couldn't get it. I didn't know how they were so calm. Uh, then when I when I started to uh, actually get this understanding that oh, fear isn't because of the situation; it's indiv- it's the individual experience. That's when mm. I started to look deeper into that. So that applies to if I wanted to, oh man, that's just it. I mean, that's, if I wanted to speak to a girl that I was afraid to speak of, it wasn't that I was afraid of her. It's that I was afraid of the possible experience I might have if I was rejected by her. That's it. Mm. So it's the experience I was afraid of, not the, not the actual mm. situation. Once I started to understand that, that's when I went much deeper again and started to really look into the experiences I had within myself. So the feelings of sadness, the feelings of anxiety. And I started to build a different relationship with those experiences through meditation by simply sitting there. The same way mm. as, say, a spider was sitting here on my desk with me while I'm trying to have a conversation with you, I'd quite frankly freak out and not be talking right now. I'd, again, shit myself. <laughs> so I yeah. would not be able to concentrate because the totally. spider would be here right so my attention my attention no matter how much i wanted that spider to not be there like please go away please go away right or no matter how i how much i just tried to pretend that it wasn't there and just Mm. just just pretend my brain is going to be like no there's a freaking spider there i don't care um how much you convince me that there isn't there's a spider there right shit yourself (laughs) right so that's what my brain's going to be doing my brain's always going to be telling the truth okay my subconscious is always going to catch that even if i'm trying to consciously not think about it yeah because at the end of the day the um the psychologists are saying now in the mind two percent of the mind is consciousness three yeah. percent of the mind is subconsciousness and then 95 percent of the mind is unconsciousness and collective unconsciousness that's mm-hmm. immense so if i think that i can use that two percent of consciousness and think Oh, that feeling, okay, imagine that that feeling is a spider or that thought is a spider. That feeling's not there. That thought's not there, right? Forget it. Like, move on. Like, stop feeling that way. Stop thinking that way. My Mm -hmm. other 95%, actually 98%, it's going to be like, screw you, you're wrong, (laughs) right? It's there. I can't do anything about that. I can't just consciously chant it away. But however, if I learn to consciously look back at it and say, you know what? You're not so scary. I can learn to actually sit here and become confident around spiders, right I can learn to sit here and learn to become confident around sadness and anxiety. The moment mm-hmm. that I do that this is honestly probably one of the biggest lessons I've learned the moment that I do that is the moment that I learn to actually become more okay within those experiences. And that's how yeah. you know, through that
1: neuroplasticity, right?: right?
0: Correct.: You yeah, rewire that it's safe. That's it, man. That's just it So now. Yeah. I experience that emotion. My brain's not like "holy shit" because you feel this way. You're not good enough. You're not able. You're not able to accomplish your goals. You're not able to talk to that girl. You're not able to um, be a coach for others, right? So that's yeah. what my neurology would previously do because that was the wiring based on that experience. However, now I've been able to shift that wiring in my brain because I've been able to sit with it, right? So mm. that's essentially uh, what this whole that's amazing of becoming a lot more meditative has been about for me
1: yeah bro oh, i can well, thank you for sharing that because uh, no that's great man that's mm. great I, I like just i ask a question and i get out of the way it's the best way to do it, it awesome. you've um you've definitely never found still you've definitely found stillness now but it's never been uh it wasn't there from from birth that's i mean maybe from birth but you know for most mm. of your life it was definitely not the case so it's really cool to paint that picture but in your experience, like, I mean, fuck, there's so many things you brought up that we'll touch on. There's, yeah. um, first of all, how do you define anxiety and how do you define depression based on your experiences?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So from what I've come to understand with anxiety, anxiety is just this, fear. Mm-hmm. I said, If I was just to generalize it as much as possible, fear. Now, if I was to mm-hmm. expand on that explanation, it would be this irrational fear that something is always wrong or is going to go wrong. It's like this mm-hmm. impending doom that's always around the corner. So, that's how to describe anxiety more specifically. But the underlying factor is it's fear. Mm-hmm. Depression, the underlying factor of it that I noticed, this is again within my experience, right? There's unworthiness just this deep unworthiness, just not good enoughness, right? And this wow. deep sadness. So, um, yeah, you know, I found it much deeper than sadness, right? It's just this feeling that I don't belong, this feeling that um, I'm not even worthy of getting out of bed and going and facing the world, right? It's feeling that the world's against me almost. So yeah. those were definitely experiences that I had. Um, I, I'm sure hopefully, mm. many people relate to that. Um. I mean, I hope people don't relate to it, actually, because that means they're experiencing it. However, I'm sure that there are many people that unfortunately do. Um, So that's how I'd describe it, yeah.
1: Yeah, 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 cool. And I remember reading a quote uh, from Lao Tzu, the Taoist philosopher, who Mm. some say he didn't live or some say he did live, but he wrote the Tao Te Ching, which is one of the most prominent, uh, I think, philosophical books from China. And he says, if you're anxious, you're stuck in the future. If you're depressed, you're stuck in the past. And if you're in peace, you're stuck in the present. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and that stuck with me, man. How do you feel about that when you hear that?
0: Oh, great question. I feel clarity. That's literally what I feel. Um, it's something that I've definitely come to understand. Um, quite a lot myself as well through that experience because when I was living in that depression it was just constant sadness from the past however there was definitely anxiousness of the future what I've also come to understand a lot and this is just through working with a lot of people with mental health is that those that experience depression absolutely will still experience anxiety there'll be lots of anxiety there however the depression is simply overwhelming vice versa the same with anxiety those that experience anxiety will absolutely experience depression it's just one likely experience will overwrite the other and interestingly enough something that i came to the conclusion of um and this is only this is through teachings this isn't something uh that i actually learned myself this is something that was passed on to me honestly by by a, a guru and um it's that I can call it depression. I can call it anxiety. I can call it sadness. I can call it fear. Essentially, all that's happening is my intelligence is working against me. So my, my mind isn't working the way that I want it to. It's just that simple. Uh, and I, I did struggle to when I first heard this. I'm like, oh, like, surely it's more than that, right? But <laughs> that's, <laughs> literally it. that's literally it, right? Um, it's just my yeah. mind working against me. Uh, so what would it be like if I could, if my mind could, could work for me? And how can I do that? Mm and that's where well of course stillness came in it's just simply if i can sit here when my mind wants me to do one thing or it's telling me uh to go and do another thing and i simply sit here as my mind says that yeah right that's power yeah so that's what i started uh, to realize is like oh wow if i can just simply sit here in stillness when my mind is telling me to freak out because I made a mistake on this podcast and start to stutter. Mm. Right. If my mind is telling me to uh to connect the space between my words through like ums and ahs and I still do this, don't get me wrong. However, I do it much yeah. less. So little conscious tweaks like that uh, I started to pick up on with myself. And then uh things like when I might sit down to meditate, my mind might be like, oh check your phone quick. Or I might be like, uh oh, you need to send this message real quick or you'll forget. Right. So little things like that, I will still sit there why because now my mind's not me i am my mind okay so that mm. was the um, the big twist that came into play uh with that so essentially it was that sense of empowerment so that sense of stability within my mind is what allowed me to come mm. away from those experiences of my mind going into the future anxiety or my mind going into the past depression right so mm. it was coming away from that and being more in that moment being more in that place of yeah, as, as you say, that peace in the moment. Uh, yeah. And uh, there is there is one thing that I'd say about being stuck is that no one's ever really stuck. Uh, there is always a way, um, even if I'm, yeah. as, as you might say, like stuck in the present. Um, there's always going to be those moments where I'm getting pulled into the future or pulled into the past. Vice mm. versa, right? In the pre- in the future or the past, there's always going to be moments where I'm pulled either to end or back into the middle eventually. Uh, mm. There's always going to be those moments. So there's always a way for sure.
1: Yeah, and so how would you how would you pull yourself out of that? And that comes back to that pure acceptance of being there now, right? Because I've mm. I've uh, mentored some guys in some men circles and stuff, and and we talk about this often as like getting faced with it, and how and having the tools to deal with that challenge at that point, and that's just purely accepting it and just sitting with it, right? Did you do you also like go in to find? What it is, Do you like reflect
0: on what it is exactly that triggered you at all? Yeah, definitely, man, definitely. And I just want to reflect on uh, what it takes to also get out of that because stillness is definitely a big factor for sure, just sitting with it and experiencing it for sure. However, there's, yeah. there's definitely been moments where I felt so overwhelmed that just simply sitting with it almost seems impossible. Uh, mm. and there's been those moments in the past. So the way I'd get out of that is through stimuli so stimuli not meaning like i chuck a pill down my throat or you know i nick some shots or something like that it's not like that but stimuli in terms of uh and not necessarily going to the gym right because a lot of people might say gym is my meditation gym it's not necessarily Mm -hmm. meditative um activity right um although it allows myself to take myself off what i'm thinking about it's a form of meditation okay it's not meditation itself so it's really looking at that and coming to the understanding of, okay, well, if meditation um, is the art of doing nothing, meaning the art of allowing, uh, that's just one term I've heard. And of course, there's many terms that people will use. If meditation mm. is a state of where I am just simply in a place of allowance um, mm. and of flow, then uh, that that's amazing. But how can I get to that state? If I'm feeling overwhelmed and my mind's just going absolutely crazy, that to the point where I can't sit still. So stimuli, right now, in order to stimulate um, myself and the reason why that's powerful is because if my mind is neurologically firing a specific pattern and that pattern is triggering this deep sense of fear meaning of course you know cortisol adrenaline all these uh all these adrenal hormones are being pumped through my body to the point where my mind my body literally thinks that i am, my life is in danger right so that feeling mm-hmm. of panic and overwhelm it's that same experience right? My mind doesn't know the difference between if there's a freaking tiger in my yard and if I'm having a scary thought in my mind does not mm-hmm. know the difference. They even saw that if the mind believes it, it thinks it's literally will perceive it as reality. Uh, have you seen the, um, uh, the fake hand, uh, hammer test? Have you seen that before? N- no, I haven't. Okay. So it's essentially all they did is, uh, they'll like some guy set up a counter um, at, a, at a fair or something. And he had this fake hand on the table. And what they would do is they would get the, uh, the participant to sit down at the table and they put their hand into the sleeve so they can no longer see their entire, uh, I think, left arm or something rather. And oh. with their left arm there, they also could see that there was a fake hand. However, the, the left arm, they could no longer see it because it was behind a wall. So they could only see the fake arm that was placed there. So it looked like their real arm because they had this cloak over themselves. It looked like their real arm, but it obviously wasn't. They could still feel their left hand. So they could know that the fake hand wasn't real. However, what they started to do is they would as they would brush each finger on the real hand. So this, like the magician behind would get a brush and brush that hand. He'd also at the same time brush the fake hand. Now, because the participant could only see the fake hand, and anyone can look this up, it's just that fa- the fake ha- hand hammer test or something rather. Um, okay, and cool. A few videos on it. Now, uh, as they'd sort of brush each finger, the participant would start to be like, "Oh, whoa, that's so weird. This literally starts to feel like my my real hand because the brain really? is connecting the dots between what it sees and what it experiences. Because to the brain, seeing is believing. Right? Just because wow. I can tell my brain that no, this isn't my real hand." just because I start to feel sensations on the same finger that this person is brushing because they're brushing both. Um, like So if I was, if I was brushing my uh, index finger on my real hand, I'd brush the index finger on the fake hand, and I'd feel that. Now, until the point where, the, where he can literally see the participant's brain has started to connect the um, fake hand to their body, essentially. What he'd do is he will get up the hammer and slam it on their hand, on the fake hand, right? <laughs> not the real hand, of course. And they will <laughs> literally feel the same level of pain as they would if it was in the real hand. Why? Whoa. Because the brain doesn't know the difference between uh, actual experience and what's in the mind. It does not know the difference. So the moment that I think that something is definitely real, even though it might not have ever happened, right? I might be suffering something that happened 10 years ago. I might be suffering something that might not have even happened yet. Yet, all that's happening is I'm just suffering my own thoughts. That's all that's happening because what's reality? Reality is existence. What's existence? That's happening now because in reality, the only place, the moment that I just literally said the sentence that I'm speaking is experienced, Mm. one, on this podcast, but the actual moment itself, the only thing that's recorded in is in our brains. Everywhere else, yeah. it doesn't exist anymore. It literally does not exist. That moment that's just been by, it does not exist anymore. This moment exists. Now, now this moment exists, right? So that yeah. moment, every time I say a moment, like that moment's already passed. That moment literally yeah. no longer exists anymore. So the moment that, I'm saying moment a lot now. However, the <laughs> moment that I come away from that and my brain starts to come away from, um, starts to project itself into the future or take itself back into the past,
1: is Mm.
0: when I'm literally in my memory. I'm no longer in existential reality. I'm in psychological Mm. reality. So the more I learn to be in existential reality, so the reality that is here, right, the more present I become, of course. Mm. However, the amount that I'm in my psychological reality is in direct proportion to how unpresent I am. So. As I get into my psychological reality, right, that's just things, that's just thoughts in my brain. Essentially, that's all that's there. If I go into my psychological Mm -hmm. reality, that's thoughts in my brain. And thoughts in my brain, as scientists are saying now, it's just literally a collection of impressions that I've had throughout my life. It's just recycled Mm -hmm. impressions. So if I had an experience 10 years ago that was traumatic on planes, next time I go on a plane, right, I'm going to think, oh, this could be a scary plane ride right? If I Mm. have a really bad rejection, you know, two weeks ago and I look at going up to another girl that I might think is attractive, I might think, oh no, what if she had rejects me and I feel the same way, right? So it's just a collection of data that I've accrued over the period of my life. And then my brain will create thoughts or ideas around that. So essentially Mm. when I talk about the whole uh, fake hand experience, I'm referring to the brains taking an experience and it's creating the reality in my mind when the reality doesn't even exist. And now I'm going yeah. to feel based off that reality. So the same feelings of like experiences of hormones like cortisol and adrenaline I'm going to pump through my body the exact same way as it would uh, if there was literally a tiger in my garden. So that feeling of yeah. overwhelm uh, is very, very real um, for those that start to really experience uh, those totally. situations. Yeah.
1: Totally, dude. And that that's like the... Um... The essence of what anxiety really is, right, is that fear-based instinct. So a lot of the time, it comes up to show us to to become safe, to allow us to be to be safe. But in the world that we live in now, most of us are safe, right? And so there's that aspect where you've got to go, "Am I safe?" Um, And they're talking on, touching on neuroplasticity and like the limbic system of the brain, where that like emotional memory gets triggered. You're basically what you want to really do, and I'd love to hear your experience of this, is, is to constantly remind yourself to go, question, are you safe? Can I just lean into this to reprogram mm-hmm. that limbic system, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And great thing mm-hmm. that you brought up because that, that just goes right into uh, the stimuli that I was mentioning before and how to go about that. Uh, now, this is something that I've definitely practiced through anxious experiences, which is I am okay. Safe, yeah. I am safe. And I'd constantly say that to myself and I, I'm not going to lie. It definitely helped. Definitely helped. However, it, it helped me to an extent because mm. it didn't take away what was creating it, what was causing it uh, in the first place. It just made me feel mm. sort of stable at that moment. However, mm. it just it would continue and eventually I'd sort of give into it in a way. Mm-hmm. Now, when I say stimuli, when I was experiencing that overwhelming anxiety, there's, two ways i'll uh go about it in order to stimulate myself one is through the breath and the other is through surprise (laughs) so Mm -hmm. if people come to me and they say hey kieran like how can i um how can i actually get myself out of panic if i'm feeling it and i literally just go to them (laughs) right i just Mm -hmm. got a little frightened oh shit what what was that (laughs) i say well surprise Surprise is a really big thing because the moment that I do that, the brain comes away from that thought being a, um, a problem and it comes straight to me. And it sees, oh, this yeah. man in front of me that's <laughs> trying to give me a fright, which he's not very good at, uh, is obviously a bigger issue. Therefore, my focus goes towards that. So neurologically, my focus comes off that initial problem and it comes into reality, right? So yeah. that's, that's one way is, um, is there a way to produce that, um, that surprise. If there's not, breath. Okay, and how I how I um in a third way is actually uh, physical, the um my sensory organs, and I'll speak on that in a second. But the second way I really love because I use this a lot, it's my most common form actually, through the breath. So, in anxiety, what happens is when I start pumping cortisol into my um into my body okay, the stress hormone, my body automatically enters a sympathetic nervous state. So the sympathetic nervous system is going to be active most of the time. It's just natural, okay? It's our fight or flight system. So when my sympathetic nervous system is active, what's happening is my body is more alert. My mind is more alert. Therefore, when something comes up, it's more reactive, okay? So it's a reactive system. It's it's, it's programmed to react based off my conditioning. Mm -hmm. So when I'm in the state, if... I getting anxious and I'm really deep in that sympathetic state, which is going to happen, I'm going to be very reactive. So this causes problems because if I'm very reactive, I'm not able to be conscious. So I'm not able to respond. Therefore, I'm not able to tell myself to constantly calm down if this thought is genuinely, like I said, it feels very real. It's like the fake hand, right? It feels very real when, it, when that fake hand gets hit because I'm associating it with reality when it's not reality, right? So the moment yeah. that I say, I'm safe, I'm safe, I'm safe, Comes, it, can, it can definitely help. However, it can also be, very, uh, it, it can also be a, a, a process that becomes very difficult when I'm very deep in that sympathetic state. So in yeah. order to enter the parasympathetic state, which allows me to become more calm, which is the rest and digest system, which allows that sympathetic state to start to switch off a bit uh, and therefore decreases the amount of cortisol I'm pumping into my blood, there's something called a sympathetic breathing pattern or parasympathetic breathing pattern. And that is this, there's two, two rules to this. The first rule is breathing through my nose because nasal breathing allows me to breathe more deeply into my lower belly where a lot of nerve endings run. And the second part to that is exhaling longer than I inhale. Because when Mm. I exhale longer than when I inhale, what happens is I actually stimulate the vagal vagus nerve and that vagus nerve allows that parasympathetic nervous system to start to stimulate as well.
2: Now mm.
0: when that happens, okay, um, eventually my mind and my body start to realize, oh, I'm actually safe. Oh, I can actually rest. Therefore it stops reacting. Okay. When it stops reacting, it will stop looking at that thought and being like, danger, danger, right? And freaking out. Mm. Just, oh yeah. So that's that's how I'd start to actually uh, Dude, create new awesome. experiences. Yeah, with with my emotions. So when I'd feel an emotion that's scary or think a thought that's scary, I'd start to do that use that deep breath. And over time neurologically, I'd start to develop that sense of safety within that. So yeah. there's two uh two types there's two sort of tempos that people can use. Just um so the first one to start off with is just a three six breath. It's a very simple one. And it's just breathing in for three seconds through the nose and then breathing out for six. So when you do that, again, breathe through your nose. However, what you will find is that there's sort of two ways to breathe through the nose. The first is almost like a sucking motion where you're breathing through your nose like that. And the next, it almost sounds like an ocean, right? So if I'm almost breathing in from my lower belly, my diaphragm, if I expand my diaphragm as I breathe, it becomes a little bit more like instead of it being Right? So it's very different. Mm. Uh, and, and those are the two types of breathing I can do through my nose. Now, if I can yeah. learn to do that deeper inhale through the diaphragm, that's going to allow me to stimulate the nerve endings in my lower belly and allow me to enter that parasympathetic state quicker. Yeah. However, don't fret. You can still utilize the other nasal breathing and uh, practice of the 3-6 breath, which is three seconds in through the nose and then six yeah. seconds out. And that's a very powerful breathing pattern. they say that um, after about eight rounds of that, you can start to enter the parasympathetic state. So practicing that for eight rounds when you start to feel anxious or overwhelmed, it's a good first step. And then you can progress it to my favorite breath that I use a lot, which is a six, eight, 10 breath. And that's six seconds in, eight second hold, 10 seconds out, and I'll do that eight rounds uh, whenever some sort of anxiousness might arise. And that allows me to Mm. be more calm into that calmer state, more safe state. And then from there, that's when I'll do the reflection. I'm like, "Oh, where did this come from?" Oh, yeah. And I'll sort of look at that in a more clear way.
1: Mm. Dude, that's so powerful, man. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. It's really cool yeah. that you're sharing the um the the nasal breathing and for, to stimulate the parasympathetic, which it's really cool to hear that the, the vagal nerve and how it re- mm. affects that. How how much of of these experiences say that we get coming upright? how much of these experiences in your experience comes from something that happened in the past? So like trauma, emotional experiences, emotional memories, how much of these things that keep coming up in our lives that create anxiety happen from or are coming from like past experiences? Do you
0: think it's all of them? All of them apart from the ones that are genuinely creating danger for me. Like those
1: rational ones.
0: Yeah. So if someone was holding a knife in front of me, yeah. that would be the case. <laughs> or if someone was yeah. holding a gun, that would be the case. So the only time I'm actually in danger is then. I'm not actually yeah. in danger even if I go through a breakup, even if someone cheats on me, even if I go through a whole lot of pain, even if um, my entire business fails and I go bankrupt. I'm not actually r- literally physically in danger. I mean, sure, maybe if my business fails or lose my money, I might end up on the streets. Okay, sure, maybe I need to scavenge for money. However, um, in those moments, you're yeah, sure, okay, my life's in danger, but in that moment, my, not, my life's not in danger yet, okay? But yeah. I'm creating this idea that, oh, no, like because all this happen- has happened, um, you know, my partner's cheated on me, uh, my business has failed, I've lost all my money, my life is over, right? So I'm, I'll create these assumptions that there's no possible way that there's going to be any potential sense of freedom. The moment they come into that moment, uh, that's coming from my past conditioning. That's not reality. Mm-hmm. Reality is that this has happened, yeah. But there's no valid proof that that is the end the only proof that i have is based mm-hmm. off my experience in the past that i must have a successful job or i must have constant a steady income or i um i must have validation from my partner in order to be enough in love in order to be enough in business in order to be enough in general right and the moment yeah. that my conditioning is, is programmed program like that which is pretty much every human on this world right uh is the yeah. moment that i'm going to react to those situations in a very poor manner However, if I didn't have that conditioning and I went through that, none of those experiences would happen. I'd just simply look at it as it is. So all of it. Mm, yeah. Yeah,
1: And so that's really cool to just circle back to that. Is this, am I safe or, or not? And, yeah. and then from that point, like that would be like the greatest thing to, to just remember in that moment of, of anxiety or fear or worry is that, am I safe? And then now just use what, you know you've just mentioned of breathing and just getting yourself back into that calm state and so say it's okay because that's going to reprogram that limbic system the the create that new those new neuro neurons those new pathways to create a safer response or a more calmer response in the future right yeah yeah, yeah that's powerful brother and so we've we're going into this before we go into some of the the uh, practical stuff, how do we uh, to, actually talk to me about? You say you've um, one of your best mates uh, was lost to anxiety. Mm. Can you talk to us a bit about that?
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So this was actually a big reason why my focus became anxiety rather than mental health as a broad spectrum. Was yeah. I this is the interesting thing as well, and it really opened my eyes up to it a lot more. I, uh, his name's Caleb am Long story short, I met him uh, when I was studying. Start, started, I started a waitering job, and he sort of taught me the ropes of it. Uh, and he eventually convinced me to go and hotbox my car with him. So <laughs> we did that and mm-hmm. started doing that literally every week. Uh, we'd hotbox my car and then go get McFlurries from McDonald's, you know, wind down the window and a bunch of smoke would just puff out, <laughs> 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 yeah, out into, the, um, into the, the sort of Mac's spot as we were sort of um, bringing in the good old McFlurries. And uh, we, we, did, we did this often, would speak about um, sort of our relationships, would speak about um, anxiety, would speak about, you know, our struggles. And you'd constantly say, man, mm. I've got anxiety or man, I'm anxious. And you'd just sort of say it quite lightly. Not in a way where he was asking for help. Not in a way where uh, he was sort of. It almost seemed like he wanted to speak in a way Um, that's just. Mm. I just didn't feel it that way. um, And at the time, and uh, anyway, I went away for a couple of years, sort of um, on and off, as I was doing university overseas. And uh, when I came back, um, I'd sort of been back briefly for his birthday as well, and um, I I came back again a few months later um, indefinitely, essentially, and. When I got back, I started a job pretty much straight away because I'd sort of left my old job when I was overseas and uh yeah, I wanted to start up my life here. So I was sort of busy starting up my life and I texted Caleb and checked up on him. I'm like, Hey man, how are you? And he got back to me a whole day later and he said, Yeah, man, things aren't too good, eh? I'm like so I messaged him back and I remember vividly sending the message and I just said, Okay, cool, man, let's catch up next week. Didn't hear from him again. Um I Uh, I remember getting a call a few days later actually uh, from a mutual friend of ours and yeah, he'd taken his life. So that when that happened, I was in such disbelief. I just couldn't believe it. I I just had no clue that it was that extreme that he was Mm. literally going to take his life like that. Uh, And it just hit Um. me, man, just hit me. I'm like, wow, wow. If I had been more real about myself, about my experiences with him. Maybe he would have spoken more if I had actually, you know, all these sort of ifs came into mind. And Mm. initially that was guilt and regret. Uh, I remember being at his funeral and thinking, I need to do something about this. And that's actually when I started speaking more on mental health. That was about just over three years ago. And um, yeah, and then sort of things transitioned a lot more from there. I remember um, 18 months ago when I sort of made that transition, I was going through Instagram. And someone had posted him on, on their story saying, I miss you. And um, that was like the trigger of like, oh, I remember saying this to myself three to four years ago, or like about three years ago, right? At his funeral, that I'd pursue mental health a lot more. So that's when I actually shifted to the coaching I'm doing now. Um, mm-hmm. However, that experience taught me a lot in terms of how hidden a lot of the experiences are. I actually started to reflect on my own experiences a lot more in terms of when I was coming home from school or when I was not really wanting to talk to my parents or even talk to my friends, uh, I'd constantly, I, if I came home from school, right. Um, parents would be like, Hey son, how was school? You're good. And they'll just disappear into my room. Yeah. Right, and then <laughs> Completely shut out. Right. Um, I remember even when people would ask me how I am, I'd put the biggest smile on my face and be like, yeah, I'm good. Yet I was suffering so much inside. Uh, wow. There, there was always, um, there's so much to actually reflect on and really look back at in terms of there was this like deep fear that I, cu- I could not let people know that I was suffering. Yet I wanted them to know so badly. I wanted mm. them to know so badly, but I just could not let them know. I, like when I really reflect on it, I, ge- I can see that as fair. I can see that if, they know, if I tell them, then that's needy, right? If I tell them that's being a burden, I can't do that, right? So I'd consume myself with that idea. Yet, if I just had spoken earlier, right? not only would I have actually been able to move through these experiences much sooner, however, I know that I would have been able to um, save a lot of other people a lot of strife by simply speaking, because now that's why people come to me rather than a psychologist or psychiatrist, not because I'm better, not at all. Absolutely not. I'm just different. There's no better or worse. All, that, mm. all that's happening is that simply people have heard my story, they've related to it and been like, oh, that's my experience. And then they've created the confidence within themselves to finally say something to someone just because they relate. And that's it. That was it. Mm. So that's what I started to really learn from that experience is that if I just speak my truth, if I just speak my vulnerabilities, which is what I'm doing a lot even now, I'll speak about sadness that I might experience or just anything, uh, people become a lot more open to with me. So all of a sudden, mm. I just start getting a lot of messages um, from all sorts of people. So openness is definitely one of the one of the biggest gifts that <sighs> I gained from that. Yeah.
1: Oh man, thank you for sharing that. I, yeah, I definitely well, can see how that would that would drive you now and and give you that fuel under your under your belt. Massively. But openness openness, I think, especially for men, right, is is like a permission slip because once you become vulnerable, you you allow and become seen. You allow others to just feel safe in that. Part. And so, I think for everyone listening, it's a really good lesson for you all is to just remember that as soon as you open up, you are giving someone else permission to open up. And That's just a, yeah, because you you just talked about it then, right? it's like, oh, I am not, I am a burden. Yeah. I totally resonate with that. it's like people feel or like you feel weak that if you become vulnerable, you are you are weak and you are a burden, and that you don't yeah. want to do that. But you could also be another statistic and yeah. if you if you allow that if you allow yourself to become so uh, vulnerable and so open and to just to talk about it and i've had so many experiences similar to this where people were so close and on the cusp and ready to roll but they just were so glad they hung in there and they spoke up because mm. now their life is transformed bro and 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 you're you're a living proof of that as well as myself as like it's as, as okay. soon as you open up you change lives
0: that's it man mm. that's
1: it. So, so man you talk about shifting unwanted experiences into a wanted one <laughs> mm. fuck man that's a process in itself right there <laughs> how, how do how do you change how do you change your perspective to be able to see something as happening for you and not to you
0: mm. Mm, great question oh I need a few minutes on this one if that's all right (laughs) (laughs) yeah so let's I'll start with maybe my fear of flying example to start with and I can move into something else Uh, now essentially fear of flying is something that I experienced for a long time again this is a conditioning right I went through a very terrifying experience on a plane and I'd watched too many air crash investigations with dad so that was bad idea um so yeah, yeah. my thing was that this can very much happen i am in danger when the plane shakes right so that was really what was going through my head now yeah with all of that going on uh i would instantly enter the state of panic mm-hmm. yeah whether or not i sit there in my seat and freak out whether or not i get up and run up and down the aisle freaking out screaming my lungs out Or whether or not I I just sit there calmly and breathe and accept the moment as it is because I can't do anything about it, nothing Mm -hmm. happens. So why wouldn't I just suddenly – so why don't I choose the more pleasant experience? That's just it. And it was Mm -hmm. was just that choice. It was literally just that choice that allowed me to shift to that fear. So the moment that I chose – actually, you know what? Whether I sit here in fear or whether I sit here in calmness, it does not change what's going to happen. <laughs> it literally mm. doesn't change what's going to happen. Whether I freak out or whether I breathe calmly. So I chose to breathe calmly. And the moment that I became real with that is the moment that things shifted. So when I'd sit with that fear, like literally the fear that I, I literally feel like I'm going to die. That's like, I'd literally feel that when I was, when I was flying in turbulence and I would just start to breathe, just mm. breathe. That's it. Yeah. I started to utilize that parasympathetic breath that six eight ten breath I started to breathe into my lower belly I'm like okay let's feel the fear let's think those thoughts I know I know I know that they're just an experience that's coming through as real as they feel they feel like that fake hand that I can see this is happening right all right so feel, it feels like the pain is real however even if it's not right because reality is that I'm still here right? yeah. reality is yeah. I wasn't in a plane crash however if my mind just created that thought now uh that was from of course the conditioning so i learned to breathe through it and by breathing through it what happens is when i learn to s- step into the parasympathetic state within an old experience i shift neurologically my and like you said um talking about shifting experiences already right you've talked about it a few times uh about how i can neurologically shift my experience by stepping into safety and i can verbalize that safety to myself I can also experience that safety within myself because parasympathetic state is safety. It's the body's way of entering that safe state. It's the body's yep. way of telling the mind that I'm safe. It's okay once I enter that parasympathetic state. So that's mm. what I started to do. And now when I fly in this turbulence, I literally, it's, isn't it crazy that my reaction is not to freak out. My reaction is actually to breathe deeply and feel calm. That mm. happens subconsciously now. I don't even think about it, right? Right. Because um so not only do I feel much less fear, but if I do feel that fear at all at any stage, I will literally just breathe deeply. And that just happens organically now. Um and that's only because I program my mind to do that over time. So one way is to go through the breath. Another way is actually to go through journaling. So I'm gonna speak about an experience of jealousy that I had in a relationship. I'm sure now yeah. there'll be people that can relate to this now. Uh yeah. I would feel really insecure in a relationship. And what would happen is because I felt so insecure and so jealous because she wouldn't speak about her emotions. So because I never – and I really craved that deep connection through talk, right, through conversation. And because she was too afraid to speak on those sort of experiences, um, I never felt fully connected with her. So when I'd see her speaking to another guy, I'm like, well, like these are sort of the same conversations that I'm having with her what's different, what's special about me, right? So I'd enter the mm. state of not good enough I'd start to um, you know, judge, judge these other guys that were speaking to her, um, even though I knew that she wouldn't even hurt a fly. She never had any sort of that intention. Um, I'm the one <laughs> yeah. that at the end of the day got to sleep in the same bed as her, right? So yet yeah, my mind would still create these thoughts yeah. um, out of this feeling of just not being good enough because I had proof in front of me, not that I actually did, but my mind created this proof because it would yeah. look for that proof because i judged myself so the moment yeah. that i judged myself thought that i was unworthy my mind found proof of that so it found proof oh she's talking to other guys therefore you are unworthy and you're not as good you're just as you're just the same as the other guys if not worse right yeah. so the end of the state i entered the state of jealousy of every time she's talked to a guy i'd be overwhelmed i'd be anxious about it and i'd just have to you know hold my breath until it passed and but Okay. Okay, it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Right, as if she was going to go off with this guy, right? It literally mm-hmm. got that deep. So, how I started to shift it at that point in time. This is this is eighteen months ago when I was going through a lot of panic that, back then, and I started to do something called future journaling. So, future journaling isn't exactly dead diary, right? It's actually writing how I want the experience to be. So, when I write it, something interesting happens in the mind because in order for the mind to allow myself to go and write something, I need to first mm. think that thought. So when I think that thought, I actually instill a new pattern in my brain just by thinking it is one way, but writing it because I'm doing a physical action that represents that thought, it becomes a lot more real and it solidifies deeper in my brain. So when I yeah. write down when I would normally experience jealousy, when Megan is, um, you know, speaking to, uh, uh, you know, a guy, uh, I, I, fi- I take a deep breath and I accept the situation as it is and I find worthiness within myself. So that's yeah. an experience that I wanted to have. So I started to write that. I write, an, uh, that was just an example of what I'd write. Another example might be whenever I f- I'd feel anxious or overwhelmed, I will find peace, right? Mm-hmm. Something as simple as that is another example. Or whenever I feel stressed, I take deep breaths and find calmness. Right, so yeah. those are experiences that I wanted to actually learn to have more often. So I'd write them down first thing in the morning, um, and I'd write them down repetitively quite a lot. I'd just spend five minutes doing this every morning, and what I started to yeah. notice is that I started to react in those ways. So when that situation would happen, I started to actually like look for acceptance. I actually started to look for worthiness. I actually started to take those deep breaths and find calmness because I already conditioned my brain to start to act in that way. Interestingly enough, uh, they, said, they found that a lot of visualization practices, I mean, you'll see top sports teams use visualization practices um, before they go into their ball game or before they go on the football field. They'll practice visualization of what their job is on the field or what their job is on the court or of them shooting that hoop or of them scoring that try, right? So they'll actually do visualization practices of doing that. And then it will become more of a reality because they've already programmed their brain. Okay, this is what I need to do. So it's programmed to actually go for it and it becomes a lot more easeful. So same thing as when I go into battle, right. With, with my experiences, I've already prepared my brain to go about it by, by utilizing that future journaling tool. So that's um, definitely a couple of ways that you can, um, that people can definitely start to go about and shift their experiences.
1: Yeah, dude. Fuck. That's so good, man. Mm. It's, like that, 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 that constant repetitive action, that affirmation of the positive outcome is so freaking yeah. powerful. I do the same every morning. Um, we do like futures, what we're currently feeling right now. So like some of the things, mm. that, you know, it might be like a limiting belief might come up or, you know, we might feel for me a big thing is like pressure. I feel like a time pressure to do things. So I'm like the more pressure I have, the safer I become. Um, the more pressure I have, the, the more at ease I feel. I thrive mm. under pressure. For instance, so like you're 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 twisting that uh, negative into a positive outcome, and it is yeah. so profound when you're like you say five minutes in the morning, I repeat that list five times over before I finish it, and it's just yeah. drumming. It's like giving yourself the future tool belt that you need. Yeah, that's just uh, that, so man. it's isn't it? And it's like anyone listening mm. to this now, like I mean, you've given so much frigging uh, so much value in this, like the breathing exercise because this is sort of tying into this question is like but the actual tangible things that people can use right now mm. the breathing exercises that you've mentioned uh the mm. the future journaling the future diary uh, uh questioning are you safe or if not can you you know tell yourself rewire yourself to feel safe in that moment or lean a little bit in another mm. thing too and i think this is a, really just another way of putting what you're saying is like just to what you touched on there about your the jealousy that you have with your partner, the tangible aspect and the untangible aspect is like where the over the overthinking mind really loves to make a reality out of the untangible things. Yeah. So it's like, you know, your girlfriend's in that time speaking to a guy and mm. um you're like, oh my god, she wants to fuck him. Like that's 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 where our mind goes. Hey? It's yeah. like, oh, my God, she loves him. She, like, wants to, like, bang him right now. I mean, at least yeah. that's my experiences in the past.
2: Yeah, and, totally.
1: And, um, and so, but the, the reality is it's like, oh, they're actually, the tangible thing in that is they're just having a conversation about, I don't know, the dog that just crossed the, 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 the in Bali, for instance, the sick dog that yeah. just crossed the part of the road. And yeah. we're going, oh, my God, fuck, she wants him so bad. Yeah, the tangible thing is is totally different. So it's like a reminder to go. What is tangible here, right? Is there anything you can add to that, bro?
0: Yeah, yeah, I love that. Great sort of place to go off. Uh so <sighs> Kevin and uh, Julie were working in a work- workplace, right, and. Uh, Kevin and Julie would say hi to each other every morning. Uh, They worked on the 22nd floor of an office building. And every morning, uh, uh, Kevin would get in a little bit earlier than Julie, and Julie would walk past and sort of pop her head through um, over the cubicle and uh, just say, What's up? and then walk on. And one morning, Julie, as she walked past, she didn't do that. She continued walking. And uh, Kevin was sitting there shitting himself. He was thinking, man, shit, I shouldn't have said that her purple nail polish was terrible like yesterday, right? So he was shitting himself mm-hmm. about saying Julie's purple nail polish was terrible because now she didn't say hi to him. He's like, what's wrong? I, I, I mm-hmm. fucked up. What did I do? Right? So he started freaking out. So he didn't actually approach her for a week because he was too shy to go up to her and apologize to about her purple nail polish. And he didn't want to look like a tool. Mm-hmm and he thought that she'd flip out of him so he was too afraid to approach her so he didn't and Julie continued to not come say hi and Julie eventually came up to him about a week later and she's like hey Kevin what's what's been going on (laughs) you haven't been speaking to me Kevin was like, oh, look, Julie, I'm so sorry. I, I, I know that I messed up by talking about your, your purple nail polish being bad and, um, and I was just too afraid to come up to you and apologize. And she's like, is that why you haven't been speaking to me? Oh, no, I was just high that day. What do you mean? <laughs> so, oh. Essentially, um, it's just a terrible joke to show what can be possible, right? I mean, yeah. Julie's reality is that she was just high and she just, um, she just walked by right? Kevin's reality is that he just created this entire story, destroyed his entire week and almost destroyed a friendship because of an assumption. What is yep. reality? Reality is my experience. What is not reality? Not reality is my conditioning projecting that experience into something. <laughs> impossible. So that's not reality. That is not reality. That is, that is psychological drama that I've created in my mind based off past experiences. And my experiences aren't all in be all, right? They're they're just literally experiences of me. Now, me compared to not just the other almost 8 billion people on this planet, but me compared to all the other lives, all the other species, all the other living things on this planet, who's correct? Is it me? Or is it like, is the, my way of seeing world correct? Or is your way of the world seeing, I'm seeing the world correct? Or is the, the bird that's outside, is that, that bird's experience of the world correct? Right. Who's actually correct? I mean, at the end Mm -hmm. of the day, if we look at an owl, right. When we say night, the owl says day. Mm -hmm. When the owl says night, we say day. Who's actually correct? Yeah. Right. Who's actually correct? So that's the thing. It's just based off our conditioning and experience. So when uh, good old Kevin, right, is worried about good old Hi Julie, um, who was ignoring him, uh, he cre- he went off this potential reality, which wasn't actually reality, and created a whole story in his mind based off that, where he could have just simply believed what he saw rather than believed what was in his mind. Because if he believed what he saw, all he would see is, oh, Julie did not speak to me. Why was Mm -hmm. that? (laughs) Right? Maybe I'll go speak to her. Right. So that's what would come to mind instead of, oh shit, I shouldn't have like what like I shouldn't have told her that or I shouldn't have said this, right? (laughs) I won't make assumptions because there's nothing to make assumptions on. That's only Mm -hmm. conditioning. And that's only my experience, not reality. So, what I challenge people to do is when they actually start to create a story in their mind, when they, like for example, if I hear scratching on my door, I might say, oh, it's the dog, right? But it might be my neighbor's cat for all I know. I genuinely yeah. don't know. All that's happening is my consciousness, right? My prefrontal lobe, it, what it's programmed to do, it's a control center, right? It's programmed to take in a whole lot of information that's occurring around me, right? So, I'll, so I'll hear scratching on the door, it takes in that sound, I experience that sound. Now, what does my other areas of my brain do, right? Many other areas of my brain have stored information that that now creates an assumption that that scratching is the dog. That is Mm. still a made-up experience, even though it's probably most definitely going to be the dog, right? It literally might not be. It literally might not be. So all that's happening is I'm taking past information, I'm creating a story based off that experience. So even that is something that I don't know. Yeah, the yeah. moment that I say I know is the moment that I get stuck. So I challenge people that whenever they have an experience, even something as simple as hearing scratching on the door from your dog, okay? Even something as simple as hearing a familiar voice behind you, even something as simple as um, going outside and knowing that the sun's going to rise tomorrow, right? <laughs> or this morning, right? Or even um, going outside and knowing the moon's going to be in the sky, right? Something as simple as that. I just want, you ca- want to catch yourself. Do you actually know? Because quite Mm. frankly, like an asteroid could come and hit the earth and stop it from turning around or, (laughs) or like a a cloud might be, you know, or, um, something might smash the moon out of the sky. Right. (laughs) So these things can actually happen. Right. So I don't actually know. Then look at seeing how you can progress that and look at more expensive stories that you're creating around your relationships. Look at more expensive stories that you're creating around uh, your work. Around your own personal life look at those stories that you're creating of oh i bet she's off doing that or i bet he's doing this right or i bet my boss is going to um you know tell me off today right right that's a story or um mm-hmm. or because she said this she's obviously angry at me well she might be having a freaking shit day today so she's just reacting that way you don't know okay so see, the more you start catching that, what happens is the brain starts to actually identify that more and it actually stops doing that. Because when you become real with yourself of, oh, oh, I'm creating a story and you tell your brain that this is a story that I'm creating. And the more you do that, it's not that you need to stop feeling that feeling that comes with that story. That's fine. That's going to happen. That's normal. Okay. Oh, I caught myself thinking that, um, you know, uh, my girlfriend at the time wants to fuck this guy, right? Just because I'm catching it doesn't mean, doesn't mean I'm just going to suddenly stop feeling that way. However, mm-hmm. the more I catch myself and be real with myself, Oh, I'm creating this sort of my mind. The more I do that with much more and with a much lighter nature, not a heavy nature, right? When it's a heavy and a serious, like, oh shit, like she's thinking this, like I'm being like I'm making this up in my mind, stop thinking this. What am I doing? Or oh, I'm such an sure. idiot, right? The more I do that, the bigger the hole that I'm digging for myself. Essentially, it's like tying a boat to the mooring and then rowing it. It's great exercise, right? But it's tiring and it doesn't get me anywhere. Mm. So the same thing with when I'm trying to push away an experience that i'm noticing no don't push it away just notice it and the more i notice that i'm real with it the brain will over time do this organically it'll start to be like oh this actually isn't serving me and it'll start to actually change its course of action anyway so just simply being real with it and the more i learn to do that not only will i come away from uh that experience organically over time yes it will take time for sure, Um, but make sure that I complement that with the other exercises that we've given, both of us have given over the course of this podcast. Uh, The Mm -hmm. other thing that actually starts to happen is I start to actually become more conscious. I start to actually become more present because now that I'm telling my brain that, oh, these stories are irrelevant, right? Um, Be more present. Um, Essentially, I start to learn to be more in the moment Uh, the more I start to catch myself with the stories because although I might subconsciously be creating them, I might not consciously be aware of them yet the more yeah. consciously aware I become of those, the more I actually expand on that consciousness. And interestingly enough, just to, start, just to finalize it, or everything that I've explained, if you want to look up um, meditation's effect on the prefrontal lobe, okay. That, when we talk meditation, we also talk consciousness. So the more you consciously do something, the more I consciously start to catch myself, the more I consciously go into a meditative state, the more I consciously pause for a moment. I pause um, nine times a day from the hours of nine to six, every single hour, I pause for a moment. I've got a reminder on my phone. It says, where's your vibe? I pause, I breathe, I sink into my emotion, my thought, and then I sink into the vibe that I want to sink into. Now, the reason why I do that is because it gives me a moment to check in with myself as well. So the more I catch myself, the more present I, I, I learn to become over time, right? And uh, mm-hmm. The more I start to actually expand on this fantastic uh, part of my brain called the prefrontal lobe, and it 's literally shown that gray matter will literally start in the prefrontal lobe will literally start to expand the more I practice meditation, the more I practice consciousness so mm-hmm. isn 't that fantastic that literally there 's a part of our brain that actually expands physically when we do this so it 's pretty cool to see. Mm-hmm. Mm,
1: so powerful brother so powerful man thank thank you you. for all of that tying this one up man we have the greatest question for last if you were to have a billboard right that would be seen by you know say a million people per day on a busy highway what would you write or what would you put on there for people to see
2: Mm. i think we said it before actually
0: the real hero is vulnerability
1: Mm. Oh yeah. dude, that's so yeah. good. I like that. Thanks, man. The real hero is vulnerability. Fuck, that's an awesome one. I like
0: that. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> to be able to
1: speak <laughs> yeah, awesome. I love that, dude. Man, thank you so much for your time and, and sharing your experiences and wisdom with the listeners today. And and if anyone wants to reach out to you, your Instagram will be in the show notes. Uh but again, yeah, thank you, brother. I really appreciate that. Oh, thank you ma'am. awesome and thank you to everyone listening to this podcast and if you can do one thing today that is take the takeaways that Kieran has given you here and share it with your loved ones actually apply it I think that's the greatest gift is when you start to change you actually need to take action and uh, that's definitely in both of our experiences just one step a day we'll keep that doctor away but until next time, ladies and gentlemen, take care and peace. Ladies and gentlemen, you are at the end of the podcast. And congratulations because you are the small 1% that actually listens to this outro. I don't know if anyone ever does. I've probably listened to 2% of them. But guess what? I'm going to tell you something very, very special. I'm going to give you the secret recipe to life. There you have it. Secret recipe, you say? Well, what is it, Luca? And that is, take action my friends, have courage, have faith, trust the process, you're exactly where you need to be. This journey isn't easy, this journey is challenging, but guess what, life is, and the only way we evolve as a human species, the only way we grow, is through challenge. We also need a community. (laughs) The community of like-minded fellows like-minded ladies gentlemen who are all seeking the best version of themselves and what does that require it requires us sharing this message showing people that you are on a better path so screenshot this episode tag a friend and tag me and tell us your biggest takeaway thank you so much and until next time peace